This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, today we are talking about your privacy. Insights West has done this really interesting survey of British Columbians on how we view our privacy. And clearly we are concerned about it. According to this survey, we are worried about cameras being used by someone to, um, in an unauthorized fashion, watch you. Uh, Six in 10 residents who were surveyed say they are worried about the cameras on devices such as smartphones, tablets, or laptops being used by someone they they didn't know about to kind of spy on them or watch them. That's a pretty high number. 21% said they were very worried about that. 39% said they were somewhat worried about that. That's a pretty big deal, which is why we find it so interesting to ask this question. Do you actually cover up your cameras on your devices? Uh, What about your laptop, your phone, all of the above, none of the above? We asked around the office. Turns out two of our producers do cover up their laptop cameras. And then we had a couple like John McComb who was like, what laptop camera? What do you do to protect your privacy? Do you cover up the cameras on your devices? Answer our hot question of the day. You can go to SimiSarah980 on Twitter to cast your vote. You can email me, Simi at cknw.com, or call our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 331-2899. Well, it has been called the nastiest election campaign in Alberta history. And from what I have heard and read about it, I have to say that's probably true. But today it's all over. It is election day in that province. Polls are open until 7 p.m. our time, and then the results will start trickling in. So Global News will have comprehensive coverage across all platforms, online, on TV, on Charles Adler tonight, and on The Shift with Drex, so you can make sure you hear everything about the Alberta election right here. But we wanted to also find out what the mood is like, particularly in a place like Edmonton this morning, and I had a chance to speak with Emma Graney, who's the legislative reporter for the Edmonton Journal. Well, Emma, thank you so much for joining us today to talk Alberta election. Tell me, what is it like in that province there? What do you get a sense of on this day of everybody going to the polls? It's nice and sunny. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long campaign, I think, for everybody involved, for journalists on the ground covering it, for politicians, for um, anyone, basically, who's been following this thing. It's been it's been nasty, I'm not going to lie. It's probably the nastiest election I've ever covered in any province or country. It just seems people just seem really angry about everything and whether that's social media or what, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's the final push to get voters out today. We had a really amazing um, uh, voter turnout actually in advance polls. So close to 700,000 people voted in the advance polls, which is I know, it's bananas. Uh, so every party, true to form, is, of course, claiming that as a victory for themselves. I guess we'll know later on tonight exactly who that was a victory for. But, uh, yeah, it seems people are quite engaged this election. Maybe that's why it's been so nasty. Right. People are paying attention. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's... I am curious, though, about that. Like, so if... What is... We know that all the polls pretty much say the same thing, don't they? Yep. And yes, that is... They say that there will be a UCP um, majority government. Okay. Is there any doubt as to how big that could be? Is that where the difference might be? I think so, yeah. That seems to be the main thing. Um, <clears throat> when you have, I mean, Edmonton itself is a, is a funny little pocket of Alberta that seems to vote NDP when uh, the rest of the province doesn't. Um, but there are also some 
pockets in Calgary that are going to be tougher fights for the United Conservative Party. Particularly downtown, you've got uh, Calgary Buffalo, uh, Calgary Fort as well. They're both going to be tough ones. You've got Calgary Elbow, uh, where we've got the Alberta Party, MLA. It's all kinds of funny little nuggets where I think there are going to be some definite fights would you um, yeah? Would you say the there's an urban-rural divide? That's something we see in BC quite a bit, right? Where the Metro Vancouver region votes, you know, yep. one way different from you see in the interior. Is that is that similar to in Alberta? Yeah, very similar. And I would argue that's similar to a lot of places around the world. There tends to be a difference between people living downtown and. Uh, people in the rest of the jurisdiction, uh, shall we say. But, yeah, I lived in Vancouver and definitely noticed that. And there's a similar vibe here in Alberta. The difference is in Alberta, uh, traditionally speaking, you've got Edmonton, which tends to vote one way. And you do have Calgary. Um, downtown, like inner Calgary, um, it tends to be a bit more on the on the left side of the spectrum. But even the suburbs of Calgary are quite conservative. And generally speaking, they do swing towards the conservative end of the spectrum. So there's a good chance that the United Conservatives are going to win back a chunk of those seats. Um, Even those kind of mid-range cities, uh, you've got Lethbridge, you've got uh, Medicine Hat, you've got Red Deer, which is a bigger centre again. They're likely to swing conservative, um, but there are some battles that could be had on kind of those internal Calgary seats and, and right. most of Edmonton as well. But rural is all expected to definitely swing towards the United Conservative Party this election. And what did you hear from people in terms of, like, what are the biggest issues for people in this campaign? You know, it's funny. It depends. And I, I, this sounds like a cop-out of an answer, but it's not. <laughs> it depends on who you ask, because I was down in Medicine Hat, for example, and it's um, down in the kind of southeastern corner of the province. And there it was all talks about the economy and jobs. And that seems to be a bit of a theme. And that's certainly the uh, tack that the United Conservatives have been taking. That's been their tagline the entire election is jobs, economy, pipeline. And you do hear that a lot. But on the flip side, you also hear a lot about people concerned about what the United Conservative Party would do, for example, to uh, gay-straight alliance rules in schools. Um, the United Conservatives plan to bring in a separate Education Act, which would roll back some of the protections that the New Democrats brought in when they were in government. And that is a lot of, that is a, concerning to a lot of people. Uh, not just that particular issue, but there have been a lot of candidates with the United Conservative Party or people who sought nomination who had to drop out or, um, we know were called out for really bigoted views, mm-hmm. you know, homophobic views, racist views, anti-Muslim, sexist. I mean, you 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 pick it, you know, you name it. Someone probably got called out for it, um, and that's worrying to a lot of people too. Even people who see themselves as conservatives. And I was speaking with a guy from Fort McMurray the other day, born and raised conservative, has only ever voted conservative, and he just. He just can't get behind Jason Kenney because he sees him as too socially conservative. Oh, interesting. Um, but then, yeah, but then he's like, but I don't know, can I vote for a new Democrat? Because that still kind of sits funny with a lot of yeah. Albertans. Um, what I find back in 2015, people well, were kind of like, do I vote Wild Rose or do I vote NDP? I mean, that's an insane uh, choice, but that's that's what happened. 
I also wonder about that as well in terms like a lot of what happened, those questions that you say that gentleman was wrestling with, that was brought up by Jason Kenney and the UCP, the whole issue of the the alliances, the gay straight alliances in school. Like they brought that up and they didn't need to do mm. that to put that doubt in people's minds. Yeah, and part of the United Conservative Party, I mean, I went to their founding convention um, where they brought in all these policies and a big part of that party is about parental choice. And that is, I mean, that's code for, you know, parents get to know what their kids are doing. And it does tend to be a bit of a split. Do we do we let the parents know what the kids are doing in every single club that the kids are in? Or do we just kind of let the kids do their own mm. things? And, and, and that tends to be the language the United Conservatives will use. Now, I do also say as well, um, Jason Kenney has said, yeah, we don't favour outing kids to their parents. That's not something we would do. But, but we have to trust teachers to know what the best decision is for the student. And yet on the flip side, he also has a policy where we want to bring in more tests and tell teachers what, how they can and cannot teach kids because we can't quite trust them. So it's been a little bit of double speak there from the UCP. And I, I, I talk more about the UCP, I should add this, because I have been covering them day after day on the right. campaign trail. My colleague was covering the, uh, the NDP, so I do know a little bit more about them. <laughs> yeah, after four years, though, in power for Rachel Notley, though, what did you hear about people's feelings towards the NDP? Is it like, absolutely not, I'm not going to vote for them ever again? Are people still considering it? Or, or what's the thought out there? Yeah, again, that is really divided. I mean, in rural Alberta, there is no love lost for the NDP. And people out there didn't vote for them in the first place anyway. So now that there's a, now that there's an approaching, potentially a conservative government on the horizon, they seem pretty happy about that. Um, but again, that depends on where you go. A lot of Alberta does tend towards conservative politics. You see that federally, you see that provincially. We had a conservative government here for 44 years without a break. So yeah, people, I think... I think some people did look at what the NDP did and they say, you know what, they did the best they could in a challenging circumstance because of the oil price drop and all that jazz. But they still just kind of align themselves with conservatism and with the conservative values and just assume that they are a conservative. And that's where they're hitting that kind of wrestling match with, do I vote um, Jason Kenney, who is a very socially conservative conservative, or... If not, then what do I do? Because they still just don't feel comfortable casting a vote for Orange. So it's kind of a, it's a funny old place, Alberta. And most of the polls, interestingly, too, they have people saying, yeah, um, I really like Rachel Notley the most, uh, but But? I won't vote New Democrat. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. I'm sure, strange yeah, I'm sure Rachel Notley is not happy to hear that. Like, yeah, it's great that people like you. They're just still not willing to vote for your party. Emma, do you have any predictions? Do you want to give us a prediction for tonight? Uh, I, I think that there will probably be a UCP majority government. Uh, that's what all the polls are pointing towards. But I don't think that the NDP are going to be completely wiped out by any means. I think they're going to retain a good chunk of Edmonton, if not all of it. And I think they have a really good chance in some of those uh, downtown ridings in Calgary as well. So I don't think that this spells the end for the NDP by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm also going to say that with knowing that Alberta elections surprise everybody, everybody. all the time. That's so true. So heck. Who knows? You know what? I'll let you call me again at midnight. And I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Emma, thank you very much for your time.
Thanks so much. Have a good one. That's Emma Graney, legislative reporter for the Edmonton Journal. And who knows, if things go in Alberta the way they did in BC, she will still be covering this story at midnight tonight. Well, we're talking about your privacy today in this fascinating new survey that was done by Insights West. And it suggests that, yeah, there's a lot of British Columbians out there who have concerns about their privacy or information that they share online. But in the end, are we really doing anything about it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about now with the help of Steve Mossop, who's the president of Insights West and joins us to talk more about it. Hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. This is such a great topic. Why did you decide to look into this? Well, it all started in the office with a few people that would cover up their cameras on their laptops and their cell phone devices. So really? it really shocked me that, that this is a phenomenon that we experience as a result of concerns about online privacy. So I said, I'm going to measure that. And lo and behold, here's our poll that that finds out how many people actually do that. So would you say from what you found out that there is a lot of concern about privacy out there? There is. And maybe that's not the huge news flash because we know that people are concerned about privacy. But we really want to dig beneath the numbers and find out what are they doing and what are they concerned about? And the, the thing that struck me in this poll in particular is that there are areas like financial things online. Yes, we're all concerned about that. 75% of us are very concerned that we're going to lose our credit card information and have it hacked. But the more subtle things, the more Big Brother-ish kind of scenarios are the ones that surprised me. Like what? So, for example, we've got 60% of people who are worried about their cameras. So they're worried that somebody somewhere, well, yeah. whether it's Google or Facebook, is watching them. And of that, half of them, so 33% of the population, are covering up those uh, th- those parts of their devices so just to avoid the potential in that. I get that. Like, I've thought about that with my laptop camera as well. But I'm surprised to hear that you know people who do it on their cell phones. On their cell phones. That's a smaller number. That was only about 7%. So that one kind of jumped out as a, maybe a growing number. But the the equal number that that bothered me, or at least surprised me, is that 52% are worried about uh, their phone, FaceTime, Skype conversations being listened to by somebody. So again, you know, not to point names at corporations, but you hear that somebody's eavesdropping. Somebody's eavesdropping for whatever purpose. Fifty-two percent—that's really? a big number. That's a huge number. That means. So what kills me about this, though, Steve, is like. That doesn't stop anybody from using the technology. We're still doing all these things. We're still using it, but we're not completely convinced that it's secure. Well, again, it's about half. So if we have half, you know, 60% of the population say, I'm worried about it, and then half of those are doing something about it, it actually gets a bit real because people are doing things that, you know, maybe are interfering with how technology operates right. properly. So they're really going to extreme measures to cover up with a piece of tape on their on their device. How did it break down like age-wise or generation-wise? Was there a difference when you looked at it that way? Yeah, we were surprised too because usually youth are a little bit more carefree and they and throughout all the other surveys that we've done on a number of topics, they just they're more laissez-faire. They just don't care about a lot of stuff. Yeah. But on this one they do and they feel that online really? security privacy is a bigger issue than than people in older age groups. So for example, uh, younger folks are more are less likely to believe their information is secure. Uh, Eighteen to thirty fours are, are way higher than the rest. And really, those that forty, those fifty five plus are less concerned, which which kind of shocked me. It might be that that younger generation has just lived with it longer. Like you know, they've always had it. It's not new to them. Therefore, they're probably more skeptical of it. As they're more skeptical, yeah. and they're the ones that are more likely to cover up their devices. Okay. Now I understand that the financial aspect where people say they're, they are concerned about their finance stuff, but again, we still use it. Like you even ask people about the tap function on their credit cards and their debit cards. Mm-hmm. Well, again, just from personal experience, I have friends of mine who would go to the till and not use the tap. I say, why don't you use the tap? 
I, w- I don't want to use it. I'm worried about it. Well, what are you worried about? Let's let's talk about that. And so again, I want right, to measure that. You must be that. a lot of fun to be around. Uh, yeah, be careful what you say around me at a cocktail party because <laughs> yeah. I'll challenge you and I'll measure that in the in the general public. Um, but that was one where it did jump out at me that uh, people are worried about the tap function. Fifty five percent are concerned that using the tap function could results could result in uh, unauthorized usage or somebody spying on what they're doing somehow. Interesting. So like for the longest time, I, w- I would have been one of those people when tap first started and I'd see people doing it. I'd be like, man, those people are crazy using that. Like anybody could just steal their card. And I was totally opposed to it that I wasn't going to get tap, wasn't going to let it happen. But the bank kept trying to give me a new tap debit card mm-hmm. until finally when I was at the bank one day, they're like, why don't you want this tap debit card? And I told them, I said, this is what I'm worried about. And they're like, oh, well, we can fix that. Like we can set up your limit so that nobody can tap more than this amount and you can only do it like how many times a day. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's just do that then. And then I felt much better about it. I've had people tap accidentally. They go in to insert it and it taps and they're scared that, oh no, it tapped and I didn't mean to do that because I'm afraid of it. Interesting. <laughs> and Interesting. The other one, I, and I shouldn't laugh because these are these are big. Uh, deep so I found concerns. this fascinating. Yeah, uh, we have fifty three percent. This is one that jumped out too. Is that fifty three percent are are worried about the data uh, from having LinkedIn appliances, so smart appliances in their homes, such as lights, security systems, heat, and being used in nefarious ways. So somebody somebody again is spying on you through your fridge somehow. Right. I get that. I get that whole, because like now they want the whole house wired, right? Um, I had a company that was in helping me install like a TV and stuff. And they're like, are you sure you don't want us to do your blinds too? And I said, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, we can link your blinds and your lights and your this and your that. So it's all done. And I said, listen, the day I can't get up and walk over and open the blinds, I said, I've got bigger problems than not being able to Mm -hmm. open the blinds. But that's what people do. And I can see why, yeah, you'd be a little worried at some point that that's not a good idea to Maybe hand over those late night binges in your refrigerator. You just don't want somebody knowing I about that. I don't want people knowing about that. <laughs> so we're concerned about our privacy then, but Steve, what are we willing to do to fix that problem? Um, people are, as I say, they are taking action, but they, for the most part, you know, if you look at Canadian society as a whole, we are the most, we're one of the most tap and electronic uh, countries yeah. on the earth. On the planet, we really uh, do more debit transactions than anybody else, uh, maybe except for Scandinavian countries. So we're really leading the charge on what people do versus what people feel. In fact, I just got another survey that was sent to me today that showed that for the first time ever, I think, um, like touchless pay reached something like 50% of transactions, like paying for things touchlessly. And I thought, well, that's a big, significant moment mm-hmm. to have that happen. So yet we are still willing to turn over our information, right? We are to some extent, but you look at, you know, there is about half of British Columbians that are using the incognito mode. So, you know, if but, we believe that, that it, that it prevents tracking and it prevents those cookies on your computer. I like the way you is, said that. If you believe if that. If you believe that. Um, <laughs> Then people are using it, and it's a regular thing for, especially for uh, see young people and males more than females. So it's a it is something that people can do and feel like they can take control right. again. You also ask people how they feel about targeted advertising because that's something we can't get away from on the internet. It's not, and you know, the, next to financial information, uh, the same number seventy five percent are concerned about. Uh, pick on Google or Facebook because they were concerned that they're filtering and showing us uh, the media that we think we want to see. And they're also uh, directing advertising in a way. So people are concerned about that. But if you look at the overall choice that people have, is it worth it or is it not? People are about split on that. I looked at a pair of shoes like two weeks ago 
and was thinking about getting them. So I obviously thought about it for like a day or two. Now I can't get rid of them because they're, they it followed the picture of those shoes on that website follows me everywhere all over the well, internet. Well, the next level of questioning that we're going to get into and we haven't done it yet is there's a lot of people that feel that just by saying something that Google suddenly is targeting advertising based on you Ooh. talking about your vacation. So, oh, I really want to go to Iceland. And that All of a Google's sudden, you're listening on your phone, and, that, and then you're then you're seeing it on your Facebook pop up. Are they so, wrong though, Steve? Are they? Well, that that's a that's again, it's <laughs> it's one of those possibly irrational fears that there's no basis in truth for it, or, or is there? Or, is, or there? is there? Do you have any of these privacy concerns? None whatsoever. None. <laughs> no. You don't cover up your camera. You don't no, do I any think, of that. I, if you think of uh, the implications of that, you know, if it were really to come to light that a Facebook or a Google, a pick on those two. Uh, if they were really doing that, listening without your permission, I just don't think that they would be able to get away with that. And I'm a believer that oh, somehow... Look at you, you Pollyanna. Somehow. You actually believe that? That's amazing. Because <laughs> look at all the things that we have found out that these big companies are doing that they have seemingly gotten a pass on, right? Yes, perhaps, perhaps. But then again, you know what? If they are watching me uh, work on my computer, I, I just think there's way... So boring? So boring. It's so boring. <laughs> there's really nothing to watch, folks. <laughs> Well, I find this is absolutely fascinating. Does it? How do you know if this compares? Like, how, do we know if this compares to other provinces? Has this, this kind we, of stuff been done before? In fact, it was such an interesting poll. We are repeating it across the country, and we'll have that in about a week and a half. So we'll stay tuned and see how it, it goes. And we're also going to take another look at uh, election tampering. So as oh. you know, this this will be a big one for us. We and there have, were concerns about that in this poll as well. There are concerns about that. Yes, uh, that was up there. Um, yes, yeah, 74% of British Columbia residents worry about social media being used to unfairly influence election outcomes. So that was the trigger. That one stat that popped out early in the data said, wow, we have an issue and it must be a national issue. So let's cover yeah. that and let's dig underneath the surface and look at, well, what is that? What does that mean? And how does that change your browsing behavior or, or your political discussions online? So that's our next special feature, and that'll be a fascinating one. It will be. Boy, you really love your job, don't you? I do love my job. No kidding. You're <laughs> running to pull on everything. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for this. Thank you. That is Steve Mossett, president of Insights West, the polling company that took a look at how people feel about privacy in this province. Our preliminary investigation has determined that the accused and each of the victims were known to each other. The question of motive remains under investigation. That is the Penticton RCMP superintendent, Ted DeJager, talking about what happened yesterday morning. Four people in their 60s and 70s were killed in two separate locations, just kilometers apart, and they were shot. The suspect in this case, 68-year-old John Britton. Police say he turned himself in yesterday at around noon. He appeared in court this morning to face three counts of first-degree murder. To find out more about what is going on in Penticton today, we are joined now by Emily Lazatin, who is our global news reporter and is in Penticton. Hi, Emily. Hi, Simi. Now, what do we know about John Britton's history? He was a City of Penticton employee, is that right? Yeah, we're learning a little bit more um, about him. He was a city engineer um, with Penticton from, I believe, 2011 to about 2016. Uh, Mayor John Vasilaki briefly told us today at the press conference um, he had retired in 2016 due to illness. What kind of illness? We don't know. What we also just confirmed is that he is, or I guess was a a current I guess, engineer with a company called Ecora, Geoscientists of BC. The company just confirmed that. 
Um, we're expecting a statement uh, from them later today. But uh, also a bit of a surprising twist. The mayor actually briefly got to know uh, John Brittain back in his days as a councillor. This was way back in about 2005. Uh, he described him as a gentleman, somebody who wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, he, he did his job well. And uh, when asked you know, what he thought of all this, when he thought that it was John Brittain, somebody he knew, um, who's also involved in the community. He said he supported him. Uh, the suspect supported him during his days as a counselor. Um, he and his former wife um, and uh, the mayor's current wife were you know, involved uh, back in the day during um, election campaigns. And so it was very surprising to hear all of this. But uh, he said that he was just surprised that he, he knew this man from, yeah. from 2005. Yeah. Okay, so then, Emily, how do what do we know at this point about how this unfolded yesterday? It was, what, two locations or three locations where this happened? Two locations. It started at 1030 in the downtown area. Um, there, there was one man who was found gunned down. Now, family members um, have identified him as Rudy uh, Winter. Um, as of today, as of right now, police are not confirming any of the victims, and that is because... Um, the family has instructed to keep that private. Uh, and then, you know, driving to the second location where the other three victims were found, um, it only took minutes, I'd say seven minutes at most. Um, and um, so within five kilometers of each other, and, uh, you know, all within an hour and a half by noon yesterday, the suspect had turned himself in without incident. Okay, interesting then. So we know he's already had his first appearance in court. Is that right? He appeared in court this morning, a very quick appearance. He remains in custody. Uh, It has been adjourned, I believe, to May 8th. Okay. And have you talked to any of the neighbors, Emily, or people in Penticton? Like, this must be an incredible shock to them. You know, Simi, I I was talking to a couple other um, hosts early this morning, and I'm grabbing my coffee, even last night, late at night, and this morning. It really is the talk of the town. Um, People want to know why. we always hear the word shocking. Another one I like to use that I've heard many times is this is uncomfortable for us. I spoke to a woman um, who lived a couple doors down from a house that's believed to be part of the investigation. Um, and she said she hadn't really processed it. Um, and it was difficult for her because it was for her, it was sort of a big trauma, as she called it. I could understand that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I understand that the city of Penticton and the RCMP were saying that they are making like uh, services available to Penticton residents in the area who may need them. Yeah, there are victim services available in the area. Um, you know, it's, that, that's expected. Uh, you know, there's talking to neighbors. We're trying to talk to neighbors as reporters all the time. Some people are very open. Um, some people you know, want to remain quiet. But when it comes to witnesses, um, you know, the superintendent, Ted Jagger, says that uh, they, they've been very forthcoming and are cooperating. Okay, so there's still obviously more to come on this. And because mm-hmm. they don't really know why, right? The, the, what's the one big question is the motive here. We don't know why. And when you, when you ask neighbors that, they're sort of, they're speechless, is what I've found. Yeah. Um, they are, you know, you ask that question, you hear again, you hear shocking, you hear uncomfortable, um, you, know, you hear how could this happen here, but then sometimes it's just, they shake their head in silence and they don't have anything to say. All right, Emily, thank you so much for the update on this today.
Welcome. Appreciate that. That's Emily Lazatin, our global news reporter who is in Penticton covering this story. While it has been quite a four-week election campaign in Alberta, many are calling this the nastiest, most negative campaign they have ever seen. And given from where we've been sitting and following along, it sure has looked that way. But it all comes to an end tonight. Albertans are voting today. That is, if they haven't already. They've had some record numbers for advance voting as well. And this isn't just uh, an election that is going to impact Alberta. We've been watching it very closely here in BC because of the things that people like Jason Kenney have been saying about what they would do to BC or what they would threaten us with if they win. And so there's a lot of implications here for other provinces and for the country as a whole. And a reminder that Global News will have comprehensive coverage across all platforms of the Alberta election results tonight. That will be online, on TV, on Charles Adler tonight and on the shift with Drex. So stay tuned right here for more about the election results. Right now, though, let's take a look at what we can expect in Alberta. David Aiken joins us now, our chief political correspondent for Global News. David, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. And you're right, it has been nasty, Simi, but it's been angry, too. And that's maybe where some of the nastiness comes from. Um, Albertans are angry and frustrated. And this is not a partisan thing. This is New Democrats and Conservatives. They're angry at Ottawa. They're frustrated with the 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 fact that they cannot seem to get the pipeline expanded, the TMX expansion through. That's where Jason Kenney's threat comes in, that if he wins the first, he said, the first thing he does at the first cabinet meeting is essentially um, make active the law that would allow uh, Alberta to essentially turn off the taps of B.C., Personally, I think that would be counterproductive because, as you know, Sammy, there is some polling that shows, you know, a lot of British Columbians have no problems with the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Certainly, there's a very noisy group that oppose it. But I think if Kenny does that, he may start, you know, he'll start losing the goodwill, I think, that now exists among some British Columbians for this. So that's really the tone of the campaign, though. Uh, anger and frustration among yeah. a lot of voters. And that's why I think we saw such big voter turnout at the advance polls. I think you're so right about that because, yeah, there's a lot of people who are very favorable towards Alberta in this province. But if that mm-hmm. does happen, people in BC are going to go, wait a minute, technically, we haven't actually done anything. This is all in the hands of the National Energy Board and the federal government, and yet we're going to be punished for it. Right. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, Premier Horgan, you know, standing by for a court challenge, should uh, Kenny ever do something. But, um, you know, again, we're trying to guess maybe there's there's politics on the campaign trail. Maybe. So the favorite Kenny line, and he trots this out at every rally, and it's a pretty good line, actually, uh, gets a lot of applause as he says, you know, uh, the B.C. government wants to wants to make B.C. carbon uh, carbon neutral by 2040. Well, we'll make him carbon neutral by 2020, i.e. he'll turn off the taps. As I say, that gets a big laugh line uh, among UCP supporters in Alberta. And that's fine. The guy's campaigning to win the premier seat. But I think once he gets the job, if in fact you do want to see the pipeline get done, right now we all know it's in the hands of the National yeah. Energy Board, and then it goes to Cabinet. And one of the things Kenny wants to do, in addition to, you know, threatening to turn the taps off, he's threatening to blow up the essentially climate change framework of the incumbent NDP government here in Alberta. And among other things, that framework calls for a cap on uh, oil sands emissions, at, which is capped right now at, at 100 megatons. If Kenny says, to heck with that, I'm taking the cap off, that would violate one of the conditions that the NEB set to when it approved originally the expansion of the pipeline. Yeah. So if Kenny's actions violate existing approvals, 
Where does that leave the pipeline expansion? I mean, don't forget, <laughs> British Columbians, Ontarians, Albertans, we own this thing now. So we probably want to see this asset we have cost us billions of dollars used. Um, of course, there's many who say, no, shut it down. Throw away the money. We, we don't like pipelines at all. It's a very polarizing debate. No kidding. Okay, so if Jason Kenney wins this, and by all accounts, it looks at this point, and we never know, mm-hmm. right? We, it looks like he is in a position to do that. What do you think that means, though, for Ottawa at this point for, for the federal election this fall? Right, and, and that's one of the things I find fascinating. So, Kenny, uh, if Kenny wins, and you're right, the polls do look very favorable for him, though the gap has been narrowing over the last several days. In any event, we would have Jason Kenney, the conservative from Alberta, Scott Moe, the conservative from Saskatchewan, Brian Pallister, the conservative in Manitoba, and of course, Doug Ford, the conservative in Ontario, and Blaine Higgs, the conservative in New Brunswick. Five conservative premiers who not only do they not, not like the carbon tax and everything associated with pricing carbon, they would be ready to block the Trudeau Liberals' agenda on just about anything, energy, economy, you name it. So that means it's going to be very difficult for the Trudeau, the, the, the federal government, to get stuff done. And on the other hand, uh, Trudeau, though, may like to have all this opposition because then presumably they can contrast these yeah. uh, conservatives with uh, the Trudeau sunny ways, such as it is. I mean, that's starting to crumble a little bit. Uh, so did you we'll put see. that in quotation marks? I feel like you put that in quotation marks. I did. I just did the air quotes <laughs> as I was talking to you, Sam. You're absolutely right. But the other thing is, too, is... Uh, if the, if the quote, uh, conservative resistance to Trudeau is led by Kenny and Ford, kind of makes Andrew Scheer a bit of a junior partner. Andrew Scheer is the federal conservative leader. And does Scheer care? He probably doesn't, so long as they can figure out how to beat Trudeau. But Trudeau's going to use that against him, saying, you're taking your marching orders from Jason Kenney or Doug Ford, and so on and so on. And there's one other thing, Simi, too, yeah. which is reared its head here that I'm seeing in federal politics. So one of the reasons it was a negative campaign here was from the, the NDP. Even before the election started, they were throwing all kinds of mud at Jason Kenney, and they had a you know a war room that did a great job digging up dirt essentially on conservative candidates, painting them as uh, homophobes, as racist, uh, and so basically trying to say Jason Kenney's unfit for office. He doesn't hold uh, small L liberal mainstream Canadian views on diversity and so on. And you know maybe there's a kernel of truth to some of this, but you know they really torqued it up. And it worked. That's why the polls have closed. Uh, and the ballot box question that the NDP wants to have is Rachel or Jason? Who's nicer, basically? And, and a lot of people will conclude, oh, Rachel, Jason does make me feel weird. Now, federally, we are now seeing Justin Trudeau, when he gives sort of campaign-style speeches to supporters, he is essentially saying, you know, white supremacists have a home in the Conservative Party. Why are, why are racists attracted to the Conservative Party? In other words, saying Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives are the racist party. And this is going to be, a, if that gets going, that, and it's starting to federally, really? that's going to make the election campaign mighty nasty. And the Trudeau Liberals, why wouldn't they do that? Because we've just seen it work to a degree here in Alberta, where a progressive party attacks the conservative candidate by saying they're unfit for office because their values are outside the Canadian mainstream. So if you're Justin Trudeau, then are you kind of secretly hoping for a Jason Kenney win? You know, pro- I mean, they, they might get more stuff done with uh, Premier Notley, but even Notley was angry. She just testified at a Senate committee last week where she was saying there's two pieces of federal legislation that Ottawa's considering, including the tanker ban off of the banning tankers off BC's northern coast, 
that she says are going to kill Alberta. Um, in fact, here in Alberta, they don't call it a tanker ban. They say it's an Alberta products ban. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, that's what it is. So Notley was going to be crossing swords with Trudeau. Uh, Kenny absolutely is. He's just more angry. And does Trudeau want to take on Kenny? Yes. Um, I've already heard uh, Labor Minister Patty Haidu, the federal Labor Minister, she's an Ontario MP, um, she's already calling Jason Kenney and the UCP, she's describing what they do as, quote, the politics of cruelty. Um, and this goes, to, again, uh, the way that people who are a part of the LGBTQ community might be treated by a Jason Kenney government, uh, the way uh, visible minorities might be treated by a Jason Kenney government, true or not, the federal liberals are already calling that what mm. Kenny is, will be up to, the politics of cruelty. And I should point out, just for the record, Kenny's slate of 87 candidates here is the most ethnically diverse group. Uh, lots of people, just like in the in uh, Lower Mainland, huge South Asian pol uh, um, uh, population in Calgary, in Edmonton, lots of South Asian candidates, lots of Chinese candidates, perhaps not as many as indigenous candidates as, right. as, as we now want as a country, but uh, Kenny's got a pretty diverse group from a, a sort of ethnic uh, basis, and maybe not so gender diverse, but... You know, he's reached yeah. out to, to make sure that his government is going to look like Alberta looks. You mentioned Andrew Scheer here. Now, was he the only federal party leader to campaign in Alberta? He was it. Um, technically, if you buy a if you buy a BC NDP uh, membership card or an Alberta membership NDP membership card, you're automatically a member of the federal NDP. So Jugmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader and Burnaby uh, South uh, M M uh, MP, um, is the leader of the same party that Rachel Notley belongs to. But Rachel Notley, in the end, like, I was in a room full. This, they had a huge rally in, in Edmonton a couple of days ago with Notley. A room full of 1,200 just crazy, cheering, pipeline-loving New Democrats. Really? And we know that Jugmeet Singh is like, no way, no way on pipelines. He doesn't want them. And oh, he, he's against the expansion of the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And... Um, and here's Notley, and uh, literally 1,200 like screaming New Democrats, they love the pipeline. That's a bit of a problem, I think, for New yeah. Democrats as we head into the federal election because, you know, there's, uh, there's a mix. And I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons Adrian Dix lost to Christy Clark in the end, um, you know, a few years ago, because I think a lot of the blue-collar New Democrat workers in B.C.'s interior, they want to see a premier that's you know, favorable to developing resources in British Columbia. I think that's one reason why John Horgan eventually prevailed, because he had a better message than Dix did. So now here comes Jugmeet Singh. How's he going to win NDP votes in B.C. and Alberta when, you know, he's offsides yeah. with the Alberta leader here? Okay, this is going to be so fascinating tonight. So, David, do you have any predictions for how this is going to go? Well, I, as I say, I do think the polls have been tightening. I mean, it, it both sides, when I say both sides being the UCP and the NDP, there's no quit. They're highly motivated, both bases. Um, the NDP campaign is just putting, they're, they're well organized, they're well funded. They know they're fighting from behind. Uh, it's really going to come down to, believe it or not, women in Calgary, women who may have voted PC at some point in time, and the NDP have been targeting women voters, specifically trying to make them feel uncomfortable or creepy about Jason Kenney. So that's why I say, ballot question, do huh. you like Rachel or Jason? It's women in key ca Calgary riding is going to choose a government. But at the end of the day, I think 
We do see a majority UCP government, but with a strong New Democrat opposition. And for Alberta politics, that'll be a new thing to have a strong opposition from uh, somebody on the other side of the ideological fence. So, uh, so it's going to be it's going to be exciting. But uh, there's gonna, I think changes is. in the air tonight. Oh, it always is, David. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers. And we'll be listening to you later. That is David Aiken, our chief political correspondent for Global News. You know, there have been a lot of changes in the last few years in relationships around the world and between countries. Uh, ever since Donald Trump came to the White House and the presidency in 2016, he has really shaken up some of the traditional uh, relationships the United States has had. And that has left some of those former allies thinking, should we be doing things differently And now comes word that Canada has formally joined a German and French coalition that is aimed at saving the international world order from destruction by various world dictators. And this alliance, by the way, does not include the United States. When was the last time you ever heard of that happening? Uh, So this is part of ongoing government efforts to shore up international cooperation at a time when uh, America is more focused on what is happening at home. Foreign Affairs Minister Krista Freeland offered Canada's support for the Alliance for Multilateralism during a meeting of G7 foreign ministers in France earlier this month. Uh, to talk more about this now, we are joined by uh, Elliot Tepper, who's a professor of international relations at Carleton University. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome to me. What did you think about this news? It's a, an important symbolic step. It's really a raising of the flag by those states who have the most vested in the international order, which has emerged after the end of the Second World War, to deal with uh, the scourge of nationalism that brought us to wars and uh, to create a new kind of international order, which is rules-based. And for a country like Canada, mid-sized countries, middle powers, this is an essential kind of uh, an order for us in which we may thrive. Is it possible, though, to have it be successful without a big power like the United States involved? Of course, there would be no need for this if the United States had not announced it is essentially uh, jettisoning its traditional support for multilateralism. In fact, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, has explicitly said that the U.S. wants a different kind of an order built on sovereign states and not on multilateral institutions. So this is really a reaction to the emergence of the United States as a, as a country that doesn't really want to lead the international order, which it has traditionally done, and that really uh, has turned its back not only on the international order, but it attacks the very concept of multilateralism. So this is really an attempt to form a grouping of states that say, as they said in their launch, the French and the German uh, states that launched this, we want to show that at the United Nations, where they plan to officially launch this next September, by the way, Simi, we want to show that a m- majority of states in the world support multilateralism, and this is the beginning step. And so what are the other countries besides Canada, France, and Germany that want to join this initiative? Well, at the moment, those are the official uh, countries, that, those are the countries that have said, yes, we're officially joining. But at the f- initial meeting that was called last fall in New York, all kinds of countries, Australia, um, India, the EU, the UK, a big cross-section of states that have shown commitment, and that's not just Western uh, European states, but a cross-section of states around the world that are committed to the idea that we need a rules-based international order. And so they've all shown up at that meeting. 
we'll have to see how much it actually grows into a formal association in the fall. Right. Okay. What about countries like you mentioned? India is is Japan interested in this? Is China yeah, interested Japan in this? Is, yes. Uh, sorry. Yes. Japan is officially joined uh, side by side with Canada at the G7 meetings. In fact, the G7 is an example of the many kinds of uh, groupings that have grown up in order to make the liberal international order. I don't know why it's called liberal. Uh, there's a technical reason for it, but the international rules-based order. The G7 was meant to be a grouping of states that have. This was an economic grouping initially that have some interest in common. It grew also separately into the G20. There's many organizations that have all taken part in saying, we have a role to play in sustaining the order which has brought us peace after two vicious world wars that collapsed the international order. We inaugurated the nuclear age. We have a vested interest in seeing to it that never happens again. And that's... uh, that's one reason we now have this new alliance saying, well, that's under threat, and we don't want right. it to be under threat. So then, Elliot, if they can get all of these countries to actually put pen to paper and commit and say, yes, we're going to do this, that would really be something, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And Canada has just, uh, our foreign minister was just at the Lima Group, which is a group of Latin American states saying we want to do something about, uh, about Venezuela. And the U.S. is not part of that either although the two, they have the same position as the U.S. in terms of Venezuela that the Maduro government has to go. So it's not the only instance of a way to get around the absence of American leadership. Right. Is, this, is that really what America wants, though? Like, America wants to not always be responsible for everybody, but if they stop getting asked to the party, that's a different thing entirely. It does at the time when geopolitics are shifting so dramatically. The U.S. is saying, we don't want to lead and we don't want that kind of an order, precisely when China is staking out its claim, where Russia is staking its claim. So we have a, a, a China that, in their view, is coming back from 200 years of humiliation to assume its rightful place in the world. Right. And they have a, a systematic plan to be the world leader in, you know, by 2050. And Russia is saying, you know, we want to... We want to come back as well. So the U.S. is being challenged for global leadership at a time when it says it doesn't want it and is pulling back, creating, in a sense, a vacuum. And this particular new grouping of states, this uh, really a statement of purpose that we believe in the multilateralism, mm-hmm. that's what this Alliance for Multilateralism is about. Elliot, thank you so much for explaining it to us. I appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. That is Elliot Tepper, a professor of international relations at Carleton University. You know, we have a lot of amazing restaurants in Canada, lots of great places to eat. But every year, there's a a panel of national judges. There's food critics, uh, leading chefs, foodies, you name it. uh, They get together and they vote on the best restaurants of the year. And that list just came out for 2019, Canada's 100 best restaurants. And guess what? Good news for people in BC. Lots of... Of places to go and check out. Restaurants in Whistler, Victoria, you know, Galliana Island all made the list and 13 of the top 100 are right here in Vancouver. And get this, two of them are actually owned by the same person. It's David Hawksworth. His restaurant, uh, Hawksworth, is number 11 on the list. And his other restaurant, Nightingale, is number 37 on the list. And we thought, hey, let's get him in to talk about how hard can it possibly be to run two of the best restaurants in Canada. Uh, Welcome back to the show, David. It's pretty hard. Is it? That's what I thought. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, by the way. 
Yeah, thank you. No, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, that's for sure. And last night was a was a big one. Uh, we had Dario Sassinian uh, from uh, from Tuscany from uh, Chef's Table. Yeah, if you go on to Chef's Table onto Netflix, you can see his story. Uh, you know, you'll you'll shed a tear for sure. Yeah, and then you'll yeah, and and he's. It, I, I, I can't articulate how ridiculous last night was. <laughs> he keeps trying to tell me, and he's running so, out of. Yeah, it was. Uh, we 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 dropped the lights. It went black in there, and then, uh, um, and we had a you know basically half a cow in the middle of the dining room, and then we just cranked ACDC, and he came out, and it was bonkers. So was he um, cooking for you? Were no, you all we, cooking we, for him? We, 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 we arranged for him to come over with uh, Summit Wines, and then, um, and then we, uh, you know, we were planning what you know how this was all going to go. And so I wanted to take him and his wife. We we did a little air tour of, uh, of Vancouver because you know Vancouver's beautiful. But of course, it wasn't wanna, bad yesterday either. Yeah, it was beautiful out there, and so uh, it was just a, such a spectacular night. And uh, w- so we sold the tickets uh, a couple of months ago. We put it on um, out there, and it, they sold within twenty four hours. It was gone. Of course, they did. And so, yeah, then people, you gave them uh, money well spent, I guess, last night is what it would have been. Yeah. 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 But that's a challenge. For you. You've got two restaurants on this top 100 mm-hmm. list. How did that feel? When it, you've got two in the top 40. Mm-hmm. So how did that feel when you found out about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's surreal, right? So it's, uh, I'm, you know, I, I've got a great team. That's what really brings everything together because I can't do everything, right? So no, it's, you uh, can't. You know, I can kind of uh, guide and, and whatnot, but I, I, I have, uh, uh, you know, great chefs, great front of house, uh, great bartenders and everything. And uh, so it's a, it's a really, it's a big team effort. Where do you find your inspiration though to keep, you've got, you know, Hawksworth is one thing, Nightingale is another, you've got Bell Cafe, which is yet another concept. Like where do you find your inspiration to keep coming up with new ideas? Um, new dishes, new tastes. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> I can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you research? Where do you go? What do you read? It's- uh, you know, it's. Uh, I, I'm very proud of being Canadian and 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 being from Vancouver, and it was my dream from from the get go that I wanted to do something uh, fun and special in Vancouver, and so here we are. Have you had opportunities to go elsewhere? Have people said, "Oh, come down here and come oh, yeah, to Las yeah, Vegas yeah. and open a restaurant, yeah, and do this"? Yeah, yeah. It's but it's meaningless to me, right? So it's uh, why you know, um, because it's not here, right? And so um, you know, I'm not saying never, right? But uh, you know, it'd be uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, I'm I'm passionate about Canada, so we'll see. Maybe Toronto could maybe happen one day, but it's a it's a very tricky business to be in, and uh, uh, there's it's a lot at stake you know, every second of the day. So it's, um, you know. Do people underestimate that, do you think, right? They go there, they eat their dinner, but what goes into every plate, the amount of, like, what you have, the attention you pay to every single plate? I, I'm sure there's the, yeah, no, it becomes a, oh, yeah, we'll just go here and whatnot. But, you, you know, when you actually understand what goes into, like, the, the whole the whole operation, it's it's quite unbelievable, right? I mean, that the amount of people. We have now something close to, like, 350 staff between all of our Bell Cafes and, and uh, our catering. Uh, we have a scholarship, too, um, that goes across Canada that's just uh, starting up now. And, uh, wow. Now, for people who don't know, mm-hmm. how would you classify the food at Hawksworth? Uh, uh, modern Canadian. Is that, is that vague enough? Well, it sounds good, but a lot of people go, what, what does that mean to say modern Canadian? Uh, you know, we're, we're really trying to hi- highlight, uh, you know, Canadian products, BC products, first and foremost. Uh, we do a little twist on, um, 
on everything and it's about consistency and trying to serve the best quality that we could possibly can uh, great wine service and uh, it's just a you know it's a very fun special place and now Nightingale's only been open for a couple of years a couple of years yeah yeah and now here you are at number 37 on the list so how mm-hmm. is that different from what you do at Hawksworth Uh, It's a completely different experience. Uh, You know, it's uh, it's all sharing it to Nightingale. Uh, There's pizza. There's uh, raw vegetables, or I mean, you know, there's there's a raw section. There's a vegetable section, Um, and so it's yeah, it's it's just it's completely different. So does that mean that sometimes if you want to serve something to you know, you go well, that's not really going to fit what we do at Hawksworth. We're going to have to make that somewhere else. Like we're going to have to. Oh, want to cook differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to open a new restaurant for that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, if uh, if I I walk down the street and I, I think of something and I look, hey, where will that fit, right? And then you know, is that a Bell Cafe item? Is that a, a Nightingale? Uh, you know, that is must that come the up. That, that must happen all the time, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Do you write it down? Do you talk to your cell phone? What do you do? Uh, I talk to myself a lot. So if you see me, uh, just you know, barking Downtown? myself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> across the street. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just take notes and just it's a, just a mental thing, right? Where I just log it and then, uh, or I'll send. Uh, you know, everybody's texting each other about, you know, you know, let's do this, and you know, there's I've already had like kind of like four things I want to do today about um, a, a different uh, menu that I'm working on. Really? Right? So, so do you change the whole menu, or do you just add things to the menu all the time? Yeah, gone are the days when you do the wholesale change right oh, where you do um uh where you know you've got 10 starters and or you know 12 yeah. starters and 12 mains and like okay monday we're going to change the entire menu and you know it's just like you do not do that right that's, like that, from the movie chef you don't do that you don't just like change the whole menu at the restaurant yeah i, I couldn't get through that one what? <laughs> was it chef or burnt or was no it? that burnt was the bradley cooper one yeah. chef is the john favreau one which is i thought that was a yeah, great yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i mean i could see why you wouldn't though like i don't know why another chef would want to watch a movie about a chef well you get pretty irritated you're like that's not how it really goes <laughs> but you know you're gonna have a a, a real situation right where uh because there, there's all that muscle memory of where you oh i've got my salt here i've got my peas here i've got all this kind of stuff and then when you change everything yeah right everything comes to a grinding halt right and it's just like you know it's it's like nothing your arms don't work anymore and you've got to like Probably slows service down, slows everything down. Yeah, right. And but as okay. a, from the customer point of view, you're like, uh, you know, I've, where's my food? Yeah. You know, so, so you add a, a couple so dishes do, at we, a time. So what we do is try to change uh, two dishes um, every couple of weeks, right? So as a, you know, English right. peas are coming in. Well, we're gonna get those on the menu, and if we can got chanterelles that are coming in and all that kind of stuff, it's. Uh, um, it's, it's, that's how we, that's right. how we'll do that. So how much time do you give yourself then to experiment in the kitchen? Do you do go in every day and work something out? Because like, obviously you've got a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah. no, it's, it's more, uh, you know, it's ideas and uh, talking with people and then, you know, we have a little bit in the kitchen here, you know, this is like now, I, you know, there's another event that I've got tonight that we're doing and I'm in there and. Lots of uh, it's never ending. It's 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 quite um, all consuming. I'll bet. So is this pressure then for you? Uh, and I always wondered that. Kind of like when you get a Michelin star, right? The pressure to keep that Michelin star. So now you're on this list. You're number eleven. You're number thirty-seven. Do you think okay, that's great? Next year you could be higher. And then you think now I got to stay up there. I don't want to slip. Like is that pressure? Uh, no. <laughs> of course <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's I was like, wow, uh, yeah, that's... yeah. No, it's. I mean, there, there's. You know, you can look at it. I, I don't know it. 
it is a lot of pressure, but the thing is, is like my the main thing is to like make sure each service is going perfectly as best as it can, and that's what I'm. And then everything else will kind of fall into place, right? But uh, if I obsess about, you know, I want to be number six next year, I mean, is six going to be actually better for the restaurant? Like, you know, if it's if it's more, you know, special or anything like so, it's but it's just a number as opposed exactly. to cooking the best that you yeah. can. I want to make sure when Simi comes in that it says she has a, a, a fantastic experience and that she's very happy. Thank right? you. So I'll be coming in in a couple weeks. Then I guess that's <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, Hawksworth is on this list. Nightingale is on this list. You can stop by there and see David Hawksworth. You can go to Bell Cafe. You've got another location now as well, right? There's one downtown. Yes, and there's one on Burrard and 3rd. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can take your bike and go for a nice little bike ride, stop there and have uh, some fantastic coffee, salads, cookies, and all that kind of stuff. We sure will. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. Thank you.